Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach coming to you from Westchester, Pennsylvania. Yes, folks, I am on land (laughs) once again, and I have a great guest today. Doug Knoll speaks about and teaches people how to solve difficult and highly emotional problems. He was a business and commercial trial lawyer for 22 years before turning to leadership development, problem solving, and peacemaking. He's a senior consultant with well, I'm going to mess up this word, Mobius Executive Leadership. <laughs> it's a mouthful and maintains a high level uh, mediation and arbitration practice. For his innovative work, Doug has been voted as one of the best lawyers in America since 2005 by U.S. News and World Report. He's also listed on the who's who of international commercial mediators. He's the author of a book called Deescalate: How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. That's the thing that caught my attention. So he's got a big background and what I think is an important topic for uh, kind of today's environment. In his spare time, Doug's a ski instructor, second degree back belt, Tai Chi master, water, white water rafter, fly fisherman, jazz uh, violinist, folk fiddler. And he also tells me he was a sailor and he flies planes and helicopters. Good Lord. When, Doug, when did you find time to practice law, my friend? <laughs> well, you know, it helps when you don't watch television. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and I haven't owned a television in 40, 45 years. So that frees up a lot of time. It is incredible. Like when, so we're just in a rental home because my wife and I are just, we are wanderers. And so I, I know we're going to get back to wandering. I don't know if it'll be on water or land, but what we're not, we, we're not sitting in the rocking chair and get gray right. type of people. Um, but yeah, for two weeks, we have not had a television because the t- TVs were part of the boat. So it's it's interesting how much time you get. It's and not that we were big TV watchers, but I totally get that. Um, so Doug, and I you know, just a little bit in the green room before we went live here, I was telling you, you know, just my own um, observations about what's going on. Even a couple, maybe let's call them curt conversations with friends and even family members. It seems like the entire world is so on edge, and, and it just seems like the good old calm conversations. At least for the last two years, I'll, I'm going to blame it on the pandemic because that turned political pretty quickly. But people are like at each other's throats, and that's really why I, I reached out to you. How did how did you get into this field? Was it after law? Was it part of your law practice? Or well, background? as you as you mentioned, Jim, I I was a pretty hardcore trial lawyer for 22 years, and through a series. Outside of the law, I took up the martial arts uh, in the mid-80s, and that led me into, uh, after I earned my second degree black belt, it took me into Tai Chi. And Tai Chi has two really interesting paradoxes. The first is the softer you are, the stronger you are. And the second is the more vulnerable you are, the more powerful you are. So soft to be strong, vulnerable vulnerable to be powerful. And that, that the truth of those paradoxes eventually seeped into my soul and led me back to school mid-career to earn my master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies. And then that led me to realize that 
my real calling was not as a trial lawyer, it was as a peacemaker. So I left the practice of law. I left 10 million bucks on the table, walked away from my law practice and my law partners in 2000 to become a peacemaker. And that's what I've been doing ever since. I, uh, yeah. It had to be like a, that had to be truly in your soul calling to, to walk away from that. Well, it was definitely a leap of faith. There's no yeah. question about that. But it was the best decision I ever made. <laughs> and were you married at the time? And are you still I, married? Did you I was. And I'm married now, but not to the same woman. Okay. <laughs> and there, was a, there was a period of time in there when I was a full-time master's degree student, a three-quarters time law professor, and a full-time trial lawyer. And that was kind of the beginning of the end of that marriage. Yeah. Um, but, but I... I got very lucky and met the woman of my dreams, and, and we've been happily married now for 15 years. So it's oh, good for you. kind of incredible. You know, I do know some people who are um, into martial arts, and um, not that we ever had a topic or a discussion in depth like what you and I have, but they always tell me you, you learn that stuff so you never have to use exactly. it. You always exactly. want to de-escalate, walk away. That's right. There's no such thing as winning a fight. And I've always, I mean, I, I totally understand that, but man, it, this really takes it to a new level. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, when you learn fifty different ways to kill somebody with your hands, you make you, you say, "I never want to have to use this stuff. I'll do everything I can not to get involved in any kind of violence." Yeah. Um, so I, along the way, I developed some. I studied neuroscience as part of my master's degree study. This is in the '90s when nobody knew what neuroscience was, and uh, became a student of human emotions and stumbled across a really interesting technique. That allow that literally allows you to calm down any angry person in 90 seconds or less, mm. and um, started teaching it. And then I got with my colleague Laura Coffer, We started the Prison of Peace Project in two, in 2010, and for the last 12 years, we we've been working in maximum security prisons across the country, training lifers and long-termers how to become peacemakers and mediators to stop prison violence. And the first skill we teach them is this this de-escalation skill of how to listen to emotions rather than to words. And we've gotten phenomenal results. Um, of the 8,000 or so people that we've trained that have been released, nobody is reoffended to our knowledge. Oh my gosh, I was gonna ask you about the prison of, prison of peace project later on, but let, let's stay with that now since you brought it up. So what is that? Did you start it? Are you just a, like a, are you one of the adjunct faculty or what's that about? <laughs> I'm the co-founder, I'm the co-founder. Okay. Uh, like I said, uh, Laurel, Laurel Crawford and I started this project at the request of a woman serving uh, a, a life sentence without possibility of parole in what was then the largest, most violent women's prison in the world here in California, mm. Valley State Prison for Women. And we took up the call, and it took us six months, but ultimately we got permission to start the project. And we started with 15 women in April of 2010, and it was an unbelievable success. Uh, by the time by the time we were five weeks into our first cohort of women, we had a waiting list of 400 women who wanted to, you know, prison population of 3,300, who wanted to get the training. And we were in that prison for three years. And and in year two, I think we got a letter from the warden, unsolicited, saying that the prison had quieted down considerably because of prison of peace and because of the, the leadership skills and peacemaking skills of the women that we had trained. Uh, that was pretty incredible. Yeah. Then the, the prison repurposed to a men's prison, and we went back and had the same experience with the men, training the men. And then we started getting funding in 2017 and expanded into 15, Cali we were in 15 
California prisons, a prison in Connecticut. We've got a colleague who's got 14 prisons in Greece, and we've got colleagues in northern Italy and in Nairobi who are also starting prison of peace. And it's just phenomenal to watch what, how people change when you just give them the right tools. You know, you were talking about how everybody is on edge. Well, you can just imagine the intensity in a maximum security prison. Mm. But when people are given the skills of how to listen and how to diffuse arguments and de-escalate things, miracles happen. And these are with some of the hardest core people you could possibly imagine. I, I would, <laughs> I'll never forget the first day I started teaching at Corcoran State Prison, which is one of the California supermax prisons. I w we, were, we were in a cell block 100 feet from where Charles Manson's cell was. Wow. And, and I met my first 15 students, 17 students there. They were in shackles and cages, literally in cages, and shackled in those cages sitting in front of me. That's how it started. Individual cages. Individual cages. And so I, I, I want to ask you, going back to the roots of the uh, prison of peace, was it a – so I think you said there was uh, 13 or 14 women – that were requesting something like was it because they wanted to de-escalate yes. situations to stay safe or so? yes okay they were they were they were sick and tired of the violence right. the prison guards were fomenting violence not stopping it and these women knew they were going to be in prison for a long time it was their community and they were tired of it and they wanted to, they were just desperate to try to do something and so they reached out to Laurel through a letter and you know like i said laurel called me and said what do you think and i said i think we should do this and and so we just responded to the request and it took a while to get permission from the prison authorities but we we ultimately got it and that's how it started totally pro bono we were getting paid a dime to do this and it just expanded from there into now what is an international organization oh my gosh that, that is so i'm 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 very uh, intrigued with that i'm impressed with that um i mean there's so much hopelessness in there and it's like the peacemaker which by the way is my my late grandmom used to say boys be a peace be a peacemakers that, that was, i read that on your thing and i'm like peacemakers there's that word but for them to to start that and to request that that had to be First of all, I'm impressed that their mind was there because, um, you know, I've done some work with uh, extreme poverty situations and I had to learn what real poverty means. What literally should I buy oatmeal or should I buy, you know, window cleaner or something right. like that? Right. Exactly. And so for the, for, for the mind, for the for the mindset to even go there initially, well, I guess I'm pretty sure it's probably divine intervention. But to have the very start of that, the women said, could you help us learn how to diffuse things? That in and of itself is pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I'm, I can't exactly remember how the, the the women decided that they wanted to become peacemakers. Susan Russo, the woman who wrote the letter, was the one who was she was actually recovering from major surgery when she wrote the wrote the letter. But she was the one that was delegated the responsibility of writing. And she wrote fifty letters, and only only one only one letter got a response, and that was the the letter that she sent to Laurel and ultimately to me. And uh, so, yeah, they had a vision and they, they, um, and we helped them fulfill that vision. And right. it's, it's changed thousands, tens of thousands of lives in the last 12 years, 13 years. Wow. So first of all, we've got about another 18 or 19 minutes and I'm, I'm miffed because I got about a dozen questions I want to ask you. So I'm going <laughs> to ask you if I can have you back because I, I want to touch, you know, my audience is entrepreneurs and, and small business owners. So I know they're, right. they're finding this deeply, uh, 
and rewarding and passion, all that. But let, let's turn a little bit to the business world. I was checking out your blog at Doug Knoll, which is uh, D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L.com for my listeners. And um, there was two blog posts I want to ask you about. One was called The Secret, Listen to the Emotions, Not the Words. Uh, and then the second one, if, if, if we have time, is Bullying at Work. Um, so listen to the emotions and not the words. Talk a little bit about that, Doug. Yes. The, um, <clears throat> we learn at an early age to listen to words, and that's, that's how we think we communicate. But it, but it turns out that 93% of all human communication is nonverbal. And, but we are taught that emotions are bad, that they, are, they make us weak, that they're irrational, that they're wrong, they're evil. And this is all based on a, a myth of Western philosophy. The truth is, as neuroscience is revealing to us, is that we humans are 98% emotional and only 2% rational and cannot even be rational until we're emotional first. And yet we've got, so we've got it all backwards in our training and our teaching and the way we raise kids to, to make emotions out as bad things, especially in the business world. Well, it turns out <clears throat> that emotions are what motivate people. Emotions are what people use to get creative. Emotions drive people to entrepreneurialism. Emotions drive us to succeed. Without emotions, we have nothing. And so it just makes sense that we ought to learn how to listen to emotions and respond to them rather than ignore them or, or put them down as being weak or evil or, uh, you know, manipulative or irrational. And so the message that I have as I coach business professionals is that when you start learning how to listen to and reflect back emotions, all sorts of wonderful things start to happen. First of all, you start to grow yourself. You build your own emotional intelligence as you do this. And second, you deeply validate the person that you're listening to in a way that they have never been validated before. And I call it listening another person into existence. Mm. And you can take a team member or you can take a customer or a client or a vendor representative, anybody, and listen to them in this way. And you build instant trust and rapport with them because they feel for the first time somebody really understands them. Somebody really gets them. It's, it's a foundational skill of life that should be in every entrepreneur's toolbox. And, and this is something you can teach entrepreneurs? Yes. I'm, well, yeah, absolutely. I've been teaching life inmates <laughs> murderers for, for 13 years. And before that, I taught judges and lawyers how to do this who were mediators. And yes, it, it's an absolute learnable skill. And, it, and, that, and that's the thing, Jim. It, you have to learn this. It, it, you can't, although I've written a book about it, it's really hard to, to, to pick up a book and pick up a practice. You really have to have somebody teach it to you. And... But when you, and it's not hard to learn. Uh, it takes most people four to six weeks of practice to master this skill, and and their life changes forever. Um, for people that have small children, the research shows that when you listen to your children's emotions and, and reflect them back, by if you start at between ages three, four, and five, by the time they're twelve years old, they're typically two grade levels ahead of their peers academically. I mean, that's how powerful this is on a child's brain. Wow. Uh, it's just it's. And I, what I can't understand, it's very new. I mean, this, uh, the, the, the brain scanning study, the seminal study came out in 2007 out of UCLA. So it's pretty new. But what's amazing to me is how few people whose business is to teach or the therapy world um, don't even know about these skills. They, they're clueless about this stuff. And they, they still go back to the old active listening crap from the 1950s. It, of course, never works, never has worked. And 
it's just it's extremely potent and it's really simple I mean it's a three-step process ignore the words read the emotions and reflect back the emotions with a you statement so if you were really mad at me Jim I would say something like, oh Jim you're really pissed off you're frustrated you don't feel like you're being listened to you feel completely disrespected and you're kind of anxious and worried and the whole thing makes you sad because you've been betrayed and you, you just the, it's just, the whole thing is just very, very upsetting to you. So notice how all I did there was I just described layers of emotions that you might have when you're really angry. Yeah, and, and, and that was fact-based. What you just said was all emotion. That's right. That's right. Didn't try to problem solve, didn't try to excuse, justify, appease, apologize, any of that stuff. None of that stuff works with an angry person. All I did is focus on your emotional experience. And when you do that, things happen in the brain. The emotional centers of the brain that are highly activated become inhibited, and at the same time, the ventrolateral prefrontal cortex, which is our executive function in our brain, comes online. And as soon as the prefrontal cortex comes back online, we calm down. And the whole process takes less than 90 seconds. It happens every time because it's the way we're hardwired. That is crazy. You know, um, so this interview will come out, um, I think, about three weeks from when we're doing it. So just so my audience knows I was sharing. So we're only two, almost two weeks into when Stephanie and I moved off our boat after five years. And we made that decision, um, well, I guess about almost two months ago now. But um, we kept throwing around the heart versus the head, right? Probably similar to what, what you're talking about as far as emotion, um, but the heart versus the head. Look, the heart says, I want to keep living on my boat. We love living on the boat. The, and the head says, <laughs> fuel has doubled. It's going to be in short supply. All these reasons why this would be a good time just to take a break. And it was so weird. One was emotion and one was fact-based. It's kind of what you're talking about here. Right. We, we actually have, <clears throat> you, you, what you're pointing out is um, something else that people don't know about. And that is that we have two, two opposing systems in our brain, one called the task focus system, and the other call is called the default mode or social system. And the task focus system is what, when you talk about being in our head and thinking rationally and critical thinking, we're in task mode. But when we're in task mode, we can't be in social mode. And being in social mode is where, when we're communicating, we, we're using empathy, we're listening to people, we are being social with people. And you can be one or the other, but you can't be both at the same time. And our educational system trains us in the task-focused mode, which is good, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't teach us all the skills that we need to be effective in social mode or the default mode. And your description of how you and your wife struggle with the decision, do we stay on the boat or do we get off, is, is a classic, um, classic description of the difference between task-focus task and social, social modes in the brain. Mm. Pretty amazing. Um, it, so your book, which I want to um, call out, "Deescalate: How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Left or, or Less," and uh, Chapter Three, as you know, Doug, is called "After Restoring the Calm, Then What?" Right. <laughs> help, help with. Let's just, let's say everybody learns and has. Then then what do you do? <laughs> right. Most my experience has been that most of the time when you calm people down by listening to and reflecting back their emotions, there's not a whole lot more that has to be done. Usually arguments and fights begin because people don't feel deeply listened to. They feel like they're being ignored. And so they ratchet up their voice. They get louder and more agitated because all they want is to be heard. So <clears throat> once they feel heard, there's almost, I mean, a lot of times there's nothing more to do, but sometimes there is. So when I get somebody calm, calm down, then the next, I'll say, well, 
what would you like to do about this? Or what should we do about this? And that's in inviting a conversation, which might be in the form of a negotiation. It might be in the form of getting into some problem solving. It might be in the form of apology, if that's required. Uh, it might, it, and, and it, it might need further intervention. Maybe you have to bring in a mediator, a third person to help you work through the problem because it's too inflammatory to be able to do it w by yourself. Um, or maybe you even have to go to a further extreme and you have to, s have to have a decision made by some kind of outside authority where somebody just has to make a binding decision that you, one person's not going to like the decision, but everybody can live with it. So there's a continuum of different problem-solving skills and techniques that you can use once you calm people down. The mistake that everybody makes is they try to go to those problem-solving skills, uh, those problem-solving techniques and ideas too early, too soon. So when somebody gets really angry or upset, a lot of people just jump into problem solving. Well, you know what you re really should do is this. And all that does is make the angry person even angrier. So what we got, so the mantra that I teach is de-escalate, then problem solve. Don't try to problem solve first. Mm. You know, um, I'll tell you when my wife, Stephanie hears this, uh, she probably hear it. She's she makes, did you listen to him or did you just interview him? Cause we've been married 42 years <laughs> and, <laughs> and somewhere around 10 years ago, I finally understood. I'm just the fix it guy. What's that? Oh, I'll go get my toolbox. I'll fix it. Whether it's the house or in our relationship <laughs> says, sometimes I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. That's right. right. So this is a, this is very typical. Uh, and this is called, this is a cultural thing uh, where men are acculturated to problem solving and fixing because they're not trained how to be emotionally competent as children. They're taught that emotions are bad. I mean, remember when you were two years old and you were out running around and you fall down and scrape your knee, what are you told? You start to cry and what are you told? Stop your crying. That's right. You are told not to feel. And you're told you're told that big boys don't cry. You know, don't be a sissy. Don't be a Suck girly it up, girl. Buttercup. That's exactly <laughs> right. And and you're fed that all through childhood. And that's wrong. It's abusive. Uh, you know, parents do that. They think they're toughening their kids up, especially little boys, and it's the worst thing you can do because it creates uh, it creates a, a lack of emotional awareness, and certain parts of the brain are not developed when that happens. And as a result, men become and women too become very anxious around people who are upset, and all and and the whole urge to fix or problem solve is really selfish. It's really about soothing your own anxiety around another person's distress. And, and so if you think about it, think about the last time your wife was upset and then think about, just think about how anxious were you? And you were probably very anxious. What do I do? I don't know what to do. Oh, I'm, I'm panicking. Well, I can fix that by, I can, I can soothe my own anxiety by fixing it. I can all, because if I can fix her, then I won't feel anxious anymore. That's, that's known as emotional invalidation. And it's, the, it's, the ins, it's an insidious and pervasive abuse that occurs every day between all kinds of people, even the most loving people do this unconsciously to each other. And the studies show that it is incredibly dangerous to our health and to our well-being. And the antidote is to, instead of emotionally invalidate and try to, instead of trying to fix things, all we need to do is reflect back the emotions that that person is having in the moment. It takes about 90 seconds, then you can move into problem solving, if that's appropriate. Yeah. So people aren't feeling heard. Um, and I know chapter 10 in your book, De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds, is how to be civil in an uncivil society. That right. one went yeah. ringing bells in my head when I saw that. <laughs> 
I mean, there's so much acrimony and I don't even know if it's, you're not hearing me. It's like, it's my way, the highway I'm right. Here's why you're wrong. That seems to be where we are today. Well, you know, there are, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, and the way I look at it is, is I, it starts with our political leaders because too many of them believe that by instigating fear, creating fear, dividing people, tribalizing people, they can they can get people they can get their base angry and fearful and and that way they can drive people to the polls to vote for them or to open up their pocketbooks and give them money so so politicians are are amplifying and accelerating this problem for their own for their own purposes and the way I look at it is the only person I'm going to vote for uh, is, are people who lead me to the light not lead me into darkness and and when you learn how to listen to somebody who's polar opposite of you in terms of say let's say just say political beliefs when you learn the skills of how to listen to them you find out that you've got 98 percent in common common values 98 percent of your values are shared and there's only a two percent difference and that two percent difference really doesn't mean much in the context of the total picture because you've got so much in common but the problem is that everybody focuses on the two percent differences and never looks at the 98 percent that we have in common that we share and so it looks like we're totally tribalized and politically polarized and all this stuff, when, when in fact, um, we really aren't. It's mm. good advice. Um, so, Doug, where can people, I mean, I gave your website. Is that the best place to connect with you, Doug? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm all by my, I don't have a virtual assistant or anything. I just work, work, work myself, and people can email me at Doug at DougNoll.com. Go to my website, lots of free resources. I have a, a two YouTube channels with, with lots of videos that talk about my work. One is uh, Douglas, I think it's the YouTube is Douglas Knoll, YouTube Douglas Knoll channel. And the other one is the newest one, which has got a lot of really good stuff on it, is called The Power of Emotional Competency. And people can go to those YouTube channels. I've probably got a couple of hundred videos up where I talk about everything we've been talking about, plus a lot more, where I'm really trying to teach people um, the skills that I found to be so powerful. Well, for people like me who can't spell competency, do you link your YouTube channel from your Doug Knoll website? <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, that's a good question. I need to do that. I will do that. I will do that. I will do that as soon as we get out the call. <laughs> I didn't think so because I checked out your website, but no, you well, fix that. It's a brand new. It's a brand new YouTube channel, and 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 I hadn't. Thank you for telling me to do that. I completely <laughs> forgot. So I will make sure that happens. Great. Doug, thank you so much. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. And seriously, I, I want to get you back and I want to get you in front of a bigger audience. I'll talk about that as soon as we're off the air. Uh, but thank you so much for being host on Dream Business Radio. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with Doug Knoll. I knew when I saw his one sheet, it was going to be amazing. Anyway, DougKnoll.com. Connect with him. You can connect with me at GetJimPalmer.com. Uh, if you're interested in the Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program, that is DreamBizCoaching.com, DreamBizCoaching.com. But that's it. Until this time next week, another fantastic interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. You take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free dream business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. <laughs> See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.